Well, good evening, everybody. I made note to say good evening because we're all so used to saying uh, good morning. How's everybody? It's always kind of a kind of unique service, isn't it, to come along on Good Friday, a, a time of celebration, but as we really think about uh, the cross. And wasn't that just a great song to say hallelujah for the cross, right? Amen. Amen. Hold on. Technology is not recognizing my face. Oh, here we go. Technology is great when it works. There we go. So, uh, not many announcements for us today. You'll, you will see the, uh, the cards in the, uh, I was going to say pews. I was going way back. The cards in the seat in front of you. Uh, if you want to scan those, you can fill out the response cards for today. Also on that card is the information uh, for the digital bulletin if you haven't already signed up for that. Uh, to make sure you're, you're staying up to date um, with all the latest uh, information here at Faith. The biggest thing is make sure you join us, of course, uh, on Sunday uh, as we look forward to celebrating uh, just Easter Sunday and, and all that comes along with that. So um, with that, uh, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and, and we're going to go ahead and, and have our message for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come to reflect on the cross, to reflect on, on what it means in our lives, to, to understand all that Christ went through uh, on that Good Friday and, and what it means for us and how we have forgiveness of sins through that action, Lord. Lord, we pray for this today. Be with me as I speak and bring forth your words. May it be your spirit and not mine speaking, Lord. Lord, again, we thank you and we say hallelujah for the cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start out with a, a quick question for you guys. Well, not guys, but when you see my question, you're going to say why I said guys. And you see on the screen, it's going to say, are you a forgetful person? Do you consider yourself one that kind of forgets a lot of things? And maybe that was just a slip to say you guys, because I think we kind of get labeled sometimes being a forgetful person. But raise your hand. Do you think you're a forgetful person? All right, about half of you, half of you already had forgotten what the question was that I asked. So anyways, but I have a tendency to forget quite a few things, and I'm sure Christy will acknowledge that. And I want to share a quick little story. One time, a few years back, it was after youth group one Sunday night, we, we were searching this building just looking for my keys. I could not find my keys. I had placed them down. I was sure of it, and I just had forgotten where I put them down. And we spent probably 10, 15 minutes just kind of looking through this building. It's a large building, and sometimes in youth group, we kind of use the whole building. So I was like, where are my keys? And I said, you know what? Forget it. Let's just go. We'll come back to work on Tuesday, and I'll find my keys. They have to be somewhere. So we get in to the car, and we drive to my parents' house because uh, they watch the kids for us on Sunday nights. And about when we're halfway there, see, I was wearing this hooded sweatshirt and a jacket over top of it because it was probably a very cold day. So at one point on the ride home, I opened up my jacket because it was getting a little warmer in the car. And I placed my hand and I put it into the pocket of the hooded sweatshirt. And what do you think was in that pocket? My keys, yes. Oh, boy, I didn't hear the end of that for a while. And that's where my keys were found. I had them the whole time. I'm sure we could go through and hear humorous stories of forgetfulness. I had quite a few even this week 
that could have questioned just where my sanity was. But as we think about this idea of forgetting and we come to this Good Friday service, I really want to reflect and start by looking at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you want to turn in your Bibles there to to Psalm 78. And Psalm 78 is this kind of this writing of this psalm that kind of talks about some of the forgetfulness of the nation of Israel. And you'll see there on verse 4, it says, we will not hide from them their children, but tell, them, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. And, and if you remember, as you kind of go through the Old Testament, a lot of times the nation is told to remember what God had done for them. Tell this generation all, all that the great things God has done for you. Don't forget what God has done for you. Remember when they crossed the Jordan, they were picked stones from the Jordan, placed them kind of as a memorial so that when they look back, they could say, this is what God did for us here. This is all the good things God did for us. And in Psalm 78, it goes through a lot of those things, the crossings of the Red Sea, how he provided for them in the wilderness, all these different things, all these ways in which he provided But then it comes to the next verses, in verses 7 and 8, and explains again. It says, so that they should set their hopes in God and not forget the works of God, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose spirit was not faithful to God. The the author of this psalm is saying, remember all these things so that you're not like the former generations, who saw all these things that God had done and forgets about them and turns their back on God. Remember, we see that over and over. Israel just failing to remember the things that God had done for them. And and as we kind of come into this New Testament, we're going to think about what we're told to remember from the New Testament Scriptures and the things that we see in Jesus Christ. But before we get there, I want to kind of do a little investigation about Jesus of Nazareth. You see, this is the guy who is focused here on this Easter season, right? It is the focus of our scriptures. And if we want to know about him, let's look to sources. We're going to look to the Gospels as a main source. But before we get there, there are some outside biblical sources I want to talk about. You see, most scholars will agree that there was a, a, a Jesus from Nazareth who walked this earth. They'll, they'll talk about him in many ways. And as I was looking into research on this, I found a couple Jewish and even Roman historians from the first century who were actually speaking and talking about Jesus. You, you see the one Josephus there. He is kind of the if you're looking for first century historians about the Jewish culture of the time, this is the guy you read. And he makes reference to really the, the death of James, the, the death of the James, which was uncalled for, he kind of says. And he says that he was the brother, and we know this from our scriptures, but he calls him the brother of James, who was called Messiah. So here he makes reference to a brother of James, a brother of Jesus by James. And he says, now, but this guy Jesus was called Messiah. 
Then there's a, a, a kind of a Roman historical perspective by this guy, Tactius, of, he calls Christus the founder of a faith who was put to death by Pontius Pilate. So here we have these outside sources that reflect on these things of Jesus and, and talk about this guy who walked this earth, Jesus. This week I was also reading an article on the website Gospel Coalition, and it was talking about the, the earliest evidence of Christianity. And, and I want to kind of read a quote from this article. Uh, I have a kind of paraphrased up on the screen. It says this. It says, Virtually all scholars today, teaching in the relevant fields of ancient history, classics, and biblical studies from all different religious backgrounds, agree on certain bedrock facts concerning Jesus of Nazareth. To name a few, Jesus began his public ministry after being baptized by John the Baptist. He was known as a miracle worker, an exorcist. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And after Jesus' death, beginning in Jerusalem, a number of his followers, including a former enemy, Paul, proclaimed that he had appeared to them alive, raised from the dead. So here are certain facts that everybody agrees on about Jesus. But we know we need to know more about this. And we need to reflect on, okay, if this man existed, what was he? What was he about? What did the things that he do? Why is it important to us during this Easter season and for the rest of our lives? For that, we need to turn to Scripture and reflect on what it says about him. And luckily, we have some great sources. First, I want to think about the Apostle John. John in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, says a lot of various things. He says that they're talking about things which they have heard, things which they had seen with their eyes, things which they had touched with their hands. They have seen it, and he says, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. He goes on to say, we have seen and we have proclaimed to you also this message which we heard from him and proclaim to you. Here's what John is saying in my terms. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know it's true. This is what I'm passing on to you guys. I, I walked side by side with this man and saw all the various things that he did. This is what I'm passing on to you. What about Peter? Peter says this in his second Peter 1.16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you the power of the coming of Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Here again, we have seen it. We have heard it. This is Peter and John, two of the closest, the inner three of disciples, sharing this news with them saying this, what you are hearing from us, you can count it worthy. But what about Luke? In Luke chapter 1, Luke was, remember, a doctor. He was somebody who was very close with the disciples, very close, a very good source for these materials. He says, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Again, eyewitnesses. I've talked to these people. I've heard what they have shared from these stories. He says, having followed these things closely for some times past, 
He says, I want to write for you an orderly account of these things concerning Jesus. And then he says this. He says that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. The things that you have heard about Jesus. You can be certain about these things. And when you go to a court, hopefully nobody ever has to go to court, but if you go to a court and maybe you're an eyewitness to something, you are very valuable in that courtroom. They want to know the things that you saw. Are you telling the truth for these things? And as we read the Gospels, as we read the Scriptures, we have people who have said, we witnessed these things. We saw these things. We have all these things happening here in front of us. So, with that being the background, we turn and look at these things of Good Friday. These things which these people witnessed, that they wrote down for us, and that they say is true, and we can rely on the things that they say. You see, yesterday, as we know, it was the Last Supper. And Jesus gives them the bread and the cup. And what are the words that he tells them during that time? He says, to do this in remembrance of me. He says, don't be forgetful of the things that you have seen and heard. He says, I am about to go away, but you guys are going to remember me with this cup, which is my blood, with this bread, which is my body. And he says, do this until I come again. So let's jump into this Good Friday story. And in John chapter 18, it tells us that the very two people that we were just talking about, Peter and John in verse 15, it says that they followed closely after Jesus was arrested. That they followed the crowd that had arrested Jesus as he was going to be tried to the Jewish leaders. If you remember, the Jewish leaders, they get false testimonies. They get false witnesses who come in and give lies about Jesus. Saying that this man said he was going to destroy the temple. And the Jewish people are enraged over Jesus. They're angry at the things that he says. And then we pick it up in John chapter 19, and it says this, starting in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arraigned him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, so I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die. Because he has made himself out to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. You know how this goes. Here it is. Jesus is flogged. He is beaten 40 times, most say, with a whip. It's a terrible thing we see. We see him hit, struck, beaten. Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. Yet the crowds chant out, crucify him. Crucify him. A painful crown of thorns is placed 
upon his head. And they say that this man has made himself out to be the son of God. And you see that Pilate reacts afraid at this point. When he hears that this man has made himself to be the son of God. If you remember from other accounts, we know that his wife had a dream about this righteous man. And how she tells her husband to have nothing to do with this man. Have nothing to do with this. But finally, Pilate, we know, is overwhelmed. And he finally hands Jesus over to be crucified. We know as the story plays out that he will carry his own cross. He will receive assistance as he carries his cross up to the place of crucifixion, Golgotha. It is here where his hands will be nailed to the cross, where his feet will be nailed to the cross. And a sign will be placed above him saying, King of the Jews. Jesus will spend the next few hours in agony and in pain. It is a painful, terrible death to face. As your arms hang and you can't breathe, you basically almost suffocate yourself to death. And we pick up the story as it continues in John chapter 19 in verse 28. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We know that the, the sky, it says, becomes dark. We know that the, the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom. And Jesus gives up his spirit and dies. He is taken off the cross. He is placed in a tomb. A stone is rolled over the tomb. And with that, the events of Good Friday come to an end. The eyewitnesses, they walk away probably feeling defeated, broken. At the later point, remember, Peter even runs away and only John is there with the other women there for that. But as we can kind of conclude the events of Good Friday, it's hard to say, right? Why is this a Good Friday with all those things that we just talked about? Well, you see, there's some important things that we need to understand about the cross and about why it is a good thing. And today I kind of want to take a look at three kind of what some people might call heavy theological terms, but they're important terms for us to understand as we look to the cross. And the first one, as we look through this and explain it, I want to think about the word propitiation. Anybody heard that word before? You're like, no. Well, okay, I guess I got one hand. I did get some head nods, so at least I know some people have heard this. But this is the word propitiation. And what it basically means is that Jesus took on the wrath of God. That, that sin needed to be punished, and Jesus took on the wrath of God. He suffered so that we might be free. This isn't maybe a, a Word that a lot of people like to think about. Wrath, punishment, pain, suffering. But this is what Jesus experienced, and he had to experience because sin demanded it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
He delivers us from the wrath of God for the punishment of sin. You see, everyone wants to say that the human race is good, that we're basically good people, that if you just kind of put us in the right circumstance, in the right place, everything is all hunky-dory. That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we are evil, that we are sinners, that we have a nature that wants to run far from God. And because of that, we deserve punishment. We deserve his wrath. But we don't get that because of Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, Jesus took the punishment. As we continue, we think about another word. Another word is reconciliation. See, because of our sins, we are separated from a holy God. We can have no part in sin because of his holiness. In order to restore this broken relationship, Christ had to die. In Romans 5, it says that we were enemies of God. That we're like kind of at war with God because of our sins. We had no hope of ever coming in to his presence. We were outside of his grace As I said, enemies. But it is the cross that helps us be reunited with God. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through the blood on the cross, we find reconciliation to the brokenness in our lives. It was Jesus who took on the wrath of God. It was Jesus now who reconciles us back to God. And as we look at one more thing today, we think about the forgiveness of sins that comes in Jesus Christ. He defeats sin. He is the ultimate sacrifice. Israel was constantly making sacrifices in the Old Testament. We like to kind of think about the temple as this great grand place, but it was a place of death, a place of blood over and over, animals being killed because of the sins. It was a reminder of our brokenness. It was a reminder of our sins every time. We were to reflect and think about the sins that we committed because of those sacrifices. But in Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12, the writer says this. It says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered a single sacrifice of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. See, this is what we're called to remember. Just in the the same way as to the Old Testament, they were to remember all the things that that God had done. But over and over, they forgot those things. They wandered away from God. But as we reflect on this Good Friday, we think about the things that we are told to remember. And as I said before, Jesus during the Last Supper, says, remember me. He says, remember the things that you are about to see, the things that you are about to witness me go through. 
Remember what you see. On Good Friday, it was Jesus who took the wrath of God to restore a broken relationship and to pay for sins. The question is, do you believe this? Do you understand what Christ has done for you this day? And whether you are here in person or you're watching online, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ and understood all he's done for you, I encourage you to find somebody around you. Reach out to us. Email us if you're online. If you're here, talk to us. Talk to leadership that you might understand that you don't have to face the wrath that is to come. You see, there is more wrath coming, whether it's when you leave this earth or when Jesus comes back. Because there is a final punishment for sins and it's eternal life away from him. Or eternal life with him. If we understand all that he has done for us. For those who do believe, as we've already said, the call is to not forget. But to remember what Christ has done. To to remember what Good Friday is all about. And and that is why today we are called to remember during this service. We are now going to go into a time of communion where we remember all that Christ has done for us. And as we do that, I encourage you, you know that the cups are at the seats in front of you. I I encourage you to get the, the cup there for yourselves. I actually forgot to get one for myself, so I'm going to come down. And one thing that Scripture calls us to do is it calls us to reflect, to to think about before we come into this event, which we call communion, to confess your sins. To reflect on the cross. So before we come before this and before I read the scriptures, I want us to spend a few minutes in reflection. A few minutes in prayer before we partake in communion. Let's pray to ourselves and and reflect and confess any sins that you might have. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11 as he's giving an account of the events of the Last Supper, he says this, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Good Friday, reflecting on on all that your your Son went through. His body, which was broken, which was broken for the wrath that is poured out on sin, Lord. Which was broken to, to fix a broken relationship. And which was broken for the forgiveness of sins, Lord. Lord, we thank you for his body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.